Hello everyone and welcome to The Regular with your host Nathan J. Phillips. This is a Words and Nerds spin-off podcast and before we start I'd like to pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging of the Nunganwal people who are the traditional owners of the land on which this podcast is being recorded. Today I'm uh, very excited, I know I always say that, but I'm extra excited today because we get to interview Grace Chan, one of my absolute favourite authors of short stories. Grace is a speculative fiction writer and a doctor. Her writing explores brains, minds, alien landscapes, technology and identity. Her debut novel, Every Version of You, will be published in September 2022 by Affirm Press. Her short fiction can be found in, or is forthcoming from Clarksworld, Orialis, Andromeda Spaceways magazine, Going Down Swinging, and many other places. She's been shortlisted for Orialis, Norma K. Hemming Awards, and Viva Novella. Grace can be found at gracechanwrites.com. And without any further ado, welcome to the podcast, Grace Chan. Thanks so much for having me, Nathan. It's, it's such an honor to be here. I'm really excited. Uh, I'm excited too, and I've already babbled a bit too much probably uh, before we were talking about uh, about your work, and um, I've really enjoyed it. Look, you know, the the mark uh, was my first introduction to to your work, and uh, that was when I was judging for the horror panel for uh, Orialis, and that one came up, and you know, I was I was really happy that one got onto the shortlist um, because that was one that I was reading, and going this this needs to be noticed, and then. <laughs> I didn't actually read Jigsaw Children. I've got to admit, I listened to it. Um, mm. That was uh, Alethea Contis read that one for Clark's World. Yes. Absolutely loved it. Um, but as much as your short stories, you've you've put them out at uh, at quite the rate over the last few years. Been incredibly busy putting that out. But you've got a new project in the works, which is mm-hmm. uh, coming out later in the year. But um, did you want to give us a quick uh, quick elevator pitch on on what the big project is at the moment. The big project. Oh, thank you for that <laughs> kind introduction. Um, and thank you for, you know, complimenting the Mark and, and Jigsaw Children. They were short stories that I wrote when I kind of first started to take writing a bit more seriously. So it's really nice to hear that feedback and um, was, a, was a real honour and a shock to have the Mark shortlisted for the Aurealis Award. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. I guess I will plug the big project, which is um, my debut novel, Every Version of You. Um, it is coming out in September of this year with a firm press. Um, Every Version of You is a literary sci-fi novel. It's set in late 21st century Australia. And it by this time, most people spend most of their time plugged into an immersive consumerist virtual reality world called Gaia. Um, The story focuses on Tao Yi, who is a Malaysian Chinese immigrant and her partner, Navin. And Tao Yi has to grapple with what she'll gain and lose once Navin decides that he wants to upload his consciousness into Gaia. So it explores, you know, themes of love, relationships, change and loss, identity, and of course, how technology impacts on personhood. Yeah. And that's really been a theme, um, certainly from the, the stories that I've read, is that, uh, that technology idea and that, that idea of what keeps us at human, what makes us human, 
and what part of us is something else, I, I guess. Um, you know, there's a few exceptions in there. Um, I do have a copy here of uh, Unnatural Order, which had uh, Mother of uh, Mother of Trenches in there. A, a uh, collection we share. Different. So, yeah, yep. You've got a piece in there too. I, I do. I was very excited when I, I wrote a, uh, my, mine was called uh, Trench, Trench and yes. um, it was, um, I'm going to plug myself a little bit here because I've only got one short story out there to plug, um, but it was, cool one. yeah, it, it was oh, thank you. Um, a little bit of shared consciousness type um, side of things. And it was all about, you know, basically tentacles and trenches. And then I was reading yours and I'm a very different story in that, but I was reading it and it's like, you know, tentacles and there's trenches and there's yeah. <laughs> not, not quite a shared, a shared consciousness type thing, but centralized in a, in a different way. A little bit and, of one. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I was like, ah, I think, it's I, the same. I think we channeled uh, a lot of the same themes, the deep sea, yeah. uh, monsters underwater. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And um, I, I won't spoil the ending, but uh, I, I do think yours was, shall we say, much nicer, much better. Uh, but, you know, anyway, I'll, I'll stop gushing. I do this every time a guest comes on. I just, you know, get excited. Um, but it, it's, I guess what I was getting at is this is a lot of the the very classic sort of areas that science fiction look at. So science fiction is always looked at um, where we're going next and how that kind of, or is it my opinion, you know, obviously everyone's got a different opinion of what science fiction looks at. Um but where we're going next, what these technologies look like and how they impact uh, who we are um, ethically and from an identity perspective. Uh, but you do it in a really uh, unique way. So um, I, I think the way I've described it to people is conceptual familiarity with um, unquestionable originality. And is that something that you're, you're sort of channeling going for those, those classic ones or is that just sort of the, the osmosis coming in? <laughs> That's really kind of you. Um, yeah, I guess I do get very fascinated by those classic questions, I guess, if you can call them classic questions in science fiction around how will technology change personhood, identity, society. Um, and I think that comes through in most of the stuff that I write, short, short form and long form. I, I don't really go about it too intentionally. I think that it's it just springs from the areas that I'm interested in. So, you know, in, in my work and my writing, I'm quite fascinated by, you know, medicine, technology, the brain and the mind and how we sort of construct our own identities, how we become the people that we are and yeah. kind of the, the the things that we know and we don't know about ourselves. So I think that, kind of bleeds into the way I, that I approach um, science fiction in, in my writing. Um, I guess when I do approach a story, there's probably two main ways that I try to come at it. So I guess one way would be sort of from the outside in. So looking at how a particular hypothetical, how a particular technology, um, for example, in Jigsaw Children, you know, you have children um, genetically spliced together from multiple parents, how would that affect, you know, how might that arise in a particular society and how would that affect the people in that society, not just, um, you know, the people traditionally at the centre, but people perhaps more on the margins who, are, who might be overlooked um, by, by society or, or traditional narratives. 
um, I definitely really enjoy. Um, I think most of my stories do focus on people who are traditionally overlooked in, in narratives and, and maybe people who are a bit on the fringe, who are marginalised or who are disadvantaged in some way. Um, so yeah, that's the sort of outside in perspective of how I might approach a, a story. I guess coming at it the other way, I also, I think I also try to approach things from the inside out. So I would say that most of my stories are quite character driven. So yeah. um, I'm trying to sort of really get inside the character's head and um, really sort of think about you know, I get quite fascinated about how they construct their own personality and, you know, what are the things that motivate them? What are the things that they don't know motivate them but still motivate them? Um, and what are the hidden parts of them that, you know, yeah, that drive them and they don't, they may not know it um, or may discover it during the story. So, yeah, I hope that kind of makes sense. <laughs> That's the kind of perspective that I try to bring. Yeah, no, it does. And it makes a lot of sense out of, um, in particular, what I was thinking of that the that sort of outside in uh, side of things and the the parts that we keep hidden and and the like was uh, uh, he leaps for the stars he leaps for the stars um, I hope I've yeah I always, I always get that one wrong when I say it so hopefully I got that one right <laughs> no, yeah you just got checking it. excellent I yeah. always do he leapt for the sky or something I'm like oh that's not <laughs> it um, but that was that was another one where it was really interesting to look at um, the cost of of. Uh, what being a celebrity, you know, all that sort of invasive fandom um, to the extreme. Um, and, you know, very much enjoyed that as well. Um, oh, thank you. But the a lot of these, and you sort of alluded to this before, but most of the world building um, that you do, it, it tends to be around a, a future version of reality. It's not set in, you know, distance, um, or not always, I should say, uh, not set in, you know, 3,000 years time when all of the space marines are killing in the name of the emperor or anything like that. Not that I'm referencing anything specific there. Uh, I've got to keep that copyright, you know, lawsuits off. Um, but it's how do you go about creating a world that is close enough to our own to be recognisable but different enough to still have that, um, I, I guess, that science fiction edge? Uh, it, I'm not sure if I'm explaining that one right, but I'll just hand over to you and hopefully you can decipher <laughs> awesome. it how you like. <laughs> it's a great question. And I think it's a really hard one for me to, it's a, it's a tough one to answer. Um, I find, I think like a lot of other science fiction writers, I find writing in that near, near future science space really, really challenging um, because you do kind of, you know, for example, with every version of you that's set only about, 80 well no 60 years from now so you do kind of have to maintain really cohesive threads from present day to the world that you're creating and keep it believable even though you might be introducing a technology that's really wacky or out there um, so I, I think it's it's potentially I, I find it more challenging to write in that sort of absolutely space that's within a hundred or 200, 200 years from now, but also really fun, I think, to kind of try to, you know, disentangle how, yeah. how this technology might um, progress over the next 50 to a hundred years and um, go from there. Yeah. I do have some 
stories as well that go far into the future. Um, so, you know, several hundred or thousand years, a thousand years from now. And I think they're a bit easier in a way. You can kind of just... A bit more liberty. You got, you got more liberty. You can draw a little bit more on the fantastical and go wild a little bit with the world <laughs> that you're creating. Yeah. yeah it's, I guess it's the... Um, the old back to the future uh, problem where, you know, look, I think it was what 2015 was it? And uh, everyone's got, you know, um, hoverboards and holographic sharks coming out of, you know, um, it, it's hard to guess where technology is going to go and which one's going to be popular as well. Um, you know, they still had fax machines because for whatever reason, they assume they'd still be around where, you know, we've, we've all collectively said that, yes, we've got telephones, but we'd rather just, um, you know, forget that we'll just do really, you know, really fast letters instead um <laughs> yeah it, and I think it's, it's not even so much about like um trying to predict I guess maybe I framed it a little bit as trying to predict the future but it's it's, it's almost not even about trying to be accurate and predicting the future it's about it's more like you're commenting you're writing about you know the present in a, in many ways when you when you write that near future sci-fi oh, that makes sense R- writing about the present from a, a, a essentially a different perspective yeah, 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 with some hypotheticals thrown in. I'm glad that I must have made some sense in the question because that answers it all. But that's basically what I was trying to get at, the the relationship between world and story where you've you've got limitations on the world because it has to be recognisable as a mm. moment. So I think that's a fantastic answer. And, and another thing that you've sort of uh, spoken about a little bit already, um, but your background um, in in medicine and, you know, psychiatry and the like, uh, I've Obviously, when it comes to to clients and patients and the like, you know that's its own separate thing. But how much has being in that world where there's you know the medical sciences, neuroscience, um, and all the technologies that are coming through uh, in those areas at the moment, how has that or has it, I suppose, influenced uh, your writing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I think um, I'm definitely lucky to be working in a field where I do get to spend a lot of time thinking about, you know, learning about medicine and technology and um, thinking about how how we use it, how developments are progressing and how it might influence, um, you know, us and, and you know, uh, you know, illness and health and our bodies and and that kind of thing in the future. Mm. Um, I guess, also, within medicine, I, I've always been fascinated by the brain and the mind, which is definitely why I chose to specialise in psychiatry and mental health. So I think, you know, those those interests of being interested in the brain and the mind and also um, having the chance to really delve into psychology as well and think about, you know, the narratives that we we construct for ourselves and how we become the people that we are and how we deal with stress and change in our lives. Um, I think those things, those are interests that I get to pursue in my work and also they come through um, a lot in my writing as well. So both of the, both my work and my writing are areas where I get to pursue those interests. Um, I guess, you know, I, I, I make it a rule to keep my work quite separate from my writing as well. So I, you know, I don't base any stories off, um, 
you know, stories of clients and patients or, you know, anything like that out of respect for my clients and also for privacy reasons. Um, but I, I think I'm also fortunate in that, um, you know, I get to share moments and stories with many of my, my clients and patients. And um, I guess in my work, I do see that there is a fair bit of, um, you know, I see inequality and, and disadvantage in, in society as well. And, and I think that um, comes through in, in many of the themes that, I, um, that emerge in my writing. Yeah, it's fascinating. And I guess that's, you know, ties in with what you're saying about a lot of your your stories being character driven. That just I'm a made bit a obsessed whole lot with getting sense. inside people's heads. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I guess we shouldn't be surprised with every version of you that it's all about that, you know, uh, uploaded consciousness <laughs> yes. and you know, mother of trenches being inside each mind. other's heads and that. Yes, um, yes, yeah. <laughs> uh, that, that's uh, fascinating. Um, now, the other one also related a little bit to your work is and I'm just looking at this going through all the stories that you've had out in the last couple of years, which let's face it, have not been easy years for any writers, let alone those working in a very busy uh, field of, you know, I know you've mentioned before that you've uh, in psychiatry, you've missed a lot of the, um, the, 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 a lot of the, the frontline pandemic stuff, but it's still, it's not exactly a stress-free or a, uh, a time uh, rich, you know, career to have. How do you find the time to do, these stories to do uh, your job, to do, you know, um, your life outside of that. And, and how does, this is also for me who has way too much, um, you know, wasted time that I don't, uh, you know, don't use particularly well. <laughs> um, I think go easy on yourself. Like, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's a juggle. It's always a juggle. And I think there's never going to be enough time for writing and there's always going to be other life stuff, whether, you know, work, the, the pandemic, family, you know, so many things. And that's okay. Like you can still fit writing around it in some way that kind of works for you. And if, even if you don't, that's okay as well at times. Like, you know, I, 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 it has been tricky to fit writing in over the past decade. Um, so I didn't really get to write much during med school. And then yeah, I went on and, you know, um, went on to do my psychiatry training. And for long periods of time, I didn't do any writing. And I'd go around telling people, I want to be a writer. And they'd be like, have you published anything yet? I'd be like, no, I haven't. <laughs> I'm barely writing anything. Yeah. Um, but I managed to carve out a few times where um, well, it was probably back in 2018 where I, I was about halfway through my psychiatry training and um, I took a few months off from work um, to, to give the writing a serious go. Um, and from there, I was fortunate enough to start to get a few things published um, and, and get an agent. So that was really lucky. Um, and I guess looking back over the years since 2018, there's been times where I haven't written for long stretches, as, for some stretches as well, you know, when I'm studying for an exam or, or yeah. that kind of thing. So I, I think that's absolutely okay. You've got, you know, you, you work and life and 
doing other things and thinking and feeling and meeting people and traveling when we can is all kind of, you know, definitely part of the creative process as well, you know, that, that all can um, feed into what you might want to create when you find the space to sit down and do it. Yeah. And, and you mentioned that you, you managed to get yourself an agent, which is, you know, no, no mean feat. So well done for that. Um, and I'm just reading your bio before that was um, from the uh, Jacinta Damase management. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I think I'm pretty sure she was on part of the, uh, one of the uh, words and nerds main podcast ones, the uh, insider, um, the insider yeah. one. And that was Yeah. She had a fantastic podcast that I listened to that as well. Okay. <laughs> you know, she had a lot of great advice. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. It's, um, but uh I guess what I was wondering there is finding an agent is a, a big deal for a lot of writers. Uh, mainly, I mean, this is, again, just from my own perspective, I find a lot of people, they go for an agent one because it gives them a little bit of a, a head start on on some of the other um, the submissions, but also because agents can do things that that they can't or they can, you know, sometimes take some of the time away from, sorry, some of the time, the if I can use my words, um, always easier to write than it is to speak. Um, oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> 100% agree with that. Uh, but they, they, essentially that they can, um, what, what, what am I trying to say? They can, they can give time back to the writer by taking yeah. on some of the tasks that do that, that time. The Have you found any task. difference in that from, okay, I'm seeing a lot of nodding there. So I'm assuming that that's a Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I think, you know, I think when you, when you kind of um, start out as a writer, there's a lot of these considerations, you know, do I look for an agent first? Do I look for a publisher first? Um, do I want to self-publish or do I want to try for trad publishing? And, for you know, the answer is going to be different for everyone. Um, but for me starting out, um, because I knew that I didn't really, you know, firstly, I didn't really have a literary background. I didn't, you know, just didn't study um, it at university. I wasn't really familiar with the writing world when I started out and I wasn't that familiar with the publishing industry. So I, I felt that I needed a, a fair bit of guidance. Yeah. <laughs> so I felt that, um, you know, I went along to a few writing festivals and conventions when I first started out and I felt that, um, I missed okay, going, going down the traditional publishing route would probably be um, the right thing for me to try. So, um, and, and I decided to try and get an agent because I felt that having someone on, you know, on my team who really knew the industry um, would work for me. Mm. Um I don't know if that, if that was your question. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's a great but, answer anyway, because that's yeah. one of the the big mysteries, I suppose, for a lot of people who are on, on my side. Um, so my my plan at the moment is more looking at self publishing, but you mm. know, it's always one of those things where trying to understand what you're losing essentially, as well as what you're gaining, is important. So understanding that you know that representation. Um, and having that person with all the inside connections, you know, I'm I'm quite yeah. happy that. Uh, on doing it my way uh, for a number of reasons, which I won't go into here because we're here to talk about you and your stuff. Um, but it's, I always find it that if you know what you're missing out on and you're happy to miss out on it, that's always a better place to be than remaining in the dark and just hoping that you're in the right way. 
Yeah, so it's fantastic yeah. I think there's absolutely pros and cons to each um, yeah. pathway to trad publishing um, versus self-publishing. And yeah, I, I guess one of the things that I didn't mention is time. You know, if, you, mm. if you're self-publishing, you, there's a lot of time that you've got to invest in, um, yeah. you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, all the non-writing things as well. Yeah. Uh, I mentioned earlier that my wife's just started a, a creative writing degree yeah. and um, it's one of the the early jokes that her lecturer, I, I'm guessing, loves to tell all the first, all the, you know, the, the newbies when they come into that, is that um, how do you scare a, a writer? Let's give them a deadline. Um, <laughs> uh, yep, yep, that's, that's, that works for me. Um, but uh, on that as well, on those, that, that process and how you've gone about it, we've spoken a little bit about your your short stories and that, how did you progress from doing short stories or I shouldn't say progress because it's two separate skill sets in a lot of ways, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. But how did you, you go from short story or how did you find going from short story writing? And I know you did have a novella out um, previously as well, but into doing the novel writing. I think, was that always the plan to sort of go from one to the other <laughs> or just write whatever and it comes out? Yep. Definitely the second one. <laughs> No, I I definitely still feel like a beginner at um, at both the short fiction and long fiction. So it's definitely still a journey and a work in progress, Uh, lots of works in progress. Um, It's interesting actually reflecting on um, how I uh, went from writing short fiction and then somehow wrote a novella and then now I've got a novel coming out. Um, Definitely not planned, (laughs) um, but a very you know, very interesting and, and fortunate um, journey to have gone on in the past few years. So, yeah, I mentioned that back in 2018, I took a few months off work and told myself, okay, I will actually give this writing thing a semi-serious go. Mm-hmm. And so I went along you to paid a few off conventions. Just putting it out there. Yeah. What's that? I think it's paid <laughs> off just putting it out there. <laughs> oh, thank you. Went along to a few conventions, um, started writing my own short fiction and sending it out there and started getting a couple of acceptances and I was really really influenced at the time by I actually started reading um, a fair bit of short uh, short speculative fiction um, by that was coming out sort of in the last five to ten years and that really inspired me I got really excited by what people were doing in that space Um, it was just you know, so, you know, a lot of experimental work, just um, interesting, fascinating ideas, fascinating form in short fiction. I think it's um, short speculative fiction, I think, in Australia and internationally is a really, um, really exciting space to be reading and writing in. So, yeah, I was particularly uh, inspired by writers like, um, I was reading like Ken Liu and his The Paper Menagerie and Ted Chiang, who wrote arrival and that was what sort of inspired me to give writing short fiction a go um so I actually kind of started writing short stories first and then I had no idea what I was doing so some of my short stories were 2,000 words long and some ballooned to 15,000 words long so that's kind of how um kind of bleeds into the story of every version of you really so that started out as a short story um, um, just the seed of the idea of the the, the couple at the center of, of that story Tao Yu and, and Naveen 
and this world, this virtual reality world and the mind uploading um, that they would have to sort of make decisions around. That was a short story and then it grew into a novelette, into a novella. Um, the novella actually was um, what got shortlisted for Viva La Novella um, okay. a couple of years ago. Um, it's a fantastic um, novella prize run by Seizure. Um, if for those um, people who don't know, it's an annual um, prize for novellas, one, one of the very few um Sort yeah, of places say, where you can get novellas recognised in Australia. Actually, it's really hard to. It's quite hard to find a, a market for novellas here, even though it's a great form um, to write in. I think. I think novellas are sort of like the movie of of <laughs> writing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so I, that ballooned into the novel that would become every version of you. So, I think that sort of reflects a little bit how short stories I think are such exciting vehicles to explore ideas and to mm. kind of play and then from that um, I tend to discover you know how long does this story need to be how much do I want to flesh it out what is the best length to tell this story so I'm a little bit of a short story writer at heart I think <laughs> but I've also loved turning um, one of them into a fully fleshed novel yeah just one of those ones that started off as short and then yeah just and didn't just quite didn't, end, didn't end. Yeah. <laughs> um you mentioned before about some of the acceptances that you you've had on the short stories and they're not um they're, they're not acceptances to be you know sneezed at or i don't even know if that's the right expression sorry my, my brain is not working tonight um but one of them was the one that I, I first came across outside of Orioles was um, going through Clark's world and that was audio. Uh, how did you find that experience of, you know, it's one thing to see your words in print somewhere. It's another to have someone, you know, turn them into an audio book and hear them speak spoken back to you. How, how did that experience go for you? Yeah. I don't know. It was it was incredibly cool. Yeah. <laughs> I think that sums it up entirely. Like, yeah. firstly, to get the acceptance from Clark's World, and yeah. then to realize that um, that it would be on the Clark's World podcast and be be read out. Um, so to actually listen to my story being read by Alicia Contis was fantastic. It's yeah. Um, I think it's a bit of a surreal experience as a writer um, to yeah. hear your, your story read in a different form. Um, yeah, I think audio is really cool as well because you kind of hear how someone else is interpreting your story right down to the line, the way they might um, sort of emphasise certain parts, the intonation, the accent, everything. So I think it's part of that process. For me, it was... It was part of that process of, you know, when you publish a story, I I, def, I I try to sort of let it go at the point of publishing and be like, okay, it's out in the world and it's exciting and scary and really interesting to see how people respond to it and interpret it and the things that they pick up on and the things that they like or don't like about the story. It's, um, I think that is... A part of writing that I, it, it's a bit nerve wracking, but I also really enjoy just letting go and seeing um, how the reader responds. And I'm a really big 
fan of like meeting the reader halfway and you know not yeah. not wanting to spoon feed you know how you're supposed to feel how you know how you're supposed to interpret the story um it's part of the joy I think is letting the reader interpret it in their own way yeah it, there's a saying and I can't remember it's it, it kills me that I can't remember where it came from because I'd really like to credit the right person for it um but apologies uh I can't. Mysterious um, person. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, there, there was something that I, I I think I read it once where it basically said that no story that's ever published has ever been read, has ever been, um, uh, was ever been read or something like that. And the idea of it, because mm. it sounds a little nonsensical, it's a little bit, you know, cliche-ish. Um, <laughs> but the idea was that the story that's put out there and the story that's read are two different stories, essentially. It's that continuing mm. or two different drafts, if you like. It's that continuing evolution of the story. And I really like that. I one, really man. like that. It's a conversation, really. Yeah, or, yeah it's a, a meeting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, look, uh, I, I, I like that one. And um, Now, the, the other part of all this is you, you mentioned that you, you still feel like you're quite um, still learning and everything. But if we look at all the awards and all the shortlistings that you've had recently, um, say over the last couple of years, it, it's quite impressive. There's... Um, there's Aurealis uh, shortlistings, obviously. There's um, uh, I was trying. To, there's a couple of others in there, but the one that always stands out for me is the Black Cranes one, uh, which you know um, you had a couple of short stories in. One of them was The Mark, and the other one was Hunger and Fury of Hunger and Fury, I think. Yeah. Um, and that's that Black Cranes Tale of Unquiet Women. I've, I've done a review of it on, on my site. I, I I loved it. Um, it was amazing, but. The, what am I, what am I saying here again? I've lost my words again. Um, but how did that feel? I guess being part of this one that it won was it the um, Bram Stoker? Uh, it won the yeah. blank. Shirley Jackson. Shirley Jackson. Award, I always want to call, it, yeah. call it the Mary Shelley Award, and it's not that. It's the Shirley Jackson. <laughs> um, and then it got shortlisted as well for was it the the British Science Fiction Awards? Just an edit because I couldn't quite get the the smoothness to happen on that one. It's not the British Science Fiction Awards, it's the British Fantasy Awards. So my apologies for that. My brain was very melty when I was recording this one with Grace. Uh, but just to make sure that one was correct, it's the uh, the British Fantasy Awards that it was shortlisted for. Yeah, um, just recently, I think. Yeah, yeah. so it, it it's um, it's done a world tour of awards, essentially. A um, world tour, it's been a two, you know, US and, <laughs> and Britain. Um, but... How did that feel to, to be part of that um, that anthology? Um, you know, obviously the authors, uh, you know, um, don't always get the recognition and the the awards from the anthologies and that. But you know, just being a part of it, how did that? Uh, I guess how did it feel? Yeah, for sure. Um, it definitely was a really awesome experience to be part of Black Cranes. Like it's it's. I think it's definitely gone beyond anything I could have imagined. Um, for those people who don't know, Black Crane's Tales of Unquiet Women is a collection of short uh, horror short stories written by um, women writers of um, mostly East Asian, Southeast Asian or um, the Asian diasporic background. Um, and it's edited by two fantastic writers mm. and editors, yes. Lee Murray and Genevieve Flynn, who um, both ma mainly write horror, <laughs> both absolutely lovely. Um, and when 
they reached out to me to be part of this anthology, it was an instant yes. <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't actually realize um, they, they reached out to you, but that would that would have felt amazing in and of itself, I reckon. So obviously, yeah, Lee and Genevieve yeah, yeah, I was lucky enough people. to cross paths with Genevieve at um, uh, Continuum Con um, oh, nice. a few years back. So um, it was. Um, yeah, before before all the cons stopped yeah. happening for a little while. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I think the stories are so fantastic. Like they incorporate mythology, they incorporate a lot of um, uh, you know various folkloric um, spirits and ghosts and ghouls and monsters, but also address I think really contemporary issues around. Um, you know, clash of cultures and yeah. um, I guess my own two stories in there. Uh, um, one's a reprint, The Mark, uh, yeah. and one is um, Of Hunger and Fury, which is an original. Um, so both of those um, go a little bit dark <laughs> and deal in themes of, you know, um, I guess relationships. I'll try not to spoil them, but relationships <laughs> and sort of um, relationship dynamics and the patriarchy and um, some suppressed emotions. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, all yeah. good. Uh, and, and you're right, all the stories in there were, um, were, were I don't know, they, they were just next level. Uh, I still remember, I, can't, yeah. so I just had a blank on which story it was, but there was the one with the chicken feet. Um, and, yes. again, no spoilers, but uh, if you read the one with the chicken feet, you'll understand why it's called in my mind the one with the chicken feet because they are the yeah yeah um, yeah that was um lee murray's phoenix claws which is oh, so is memorable that oh, how yeah. do I forget that it's, it was lee it's unforgettable that? isn't yeah. it the, that one. yeah, <laughs> yeah a great. real range of stories like yeah and, and some of them were, were quite touching and some of them were like the you know the, the phoenix claws one was you know a little on the the dark humor but still quite amusing side mm. and then there were others that were that that more sort of um I guess, traditional horror, but mm. from a non-traditional perspective. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. So look, noting that I've, um, I've probably kept you up past your bedtime, um, <laughs> I've definitely, after, yeah, I've definitely stayed up past mine. Um, so um, there is one more question um, that I didn't forward to you before, but it's one that, that Danny asks everyone. So I'm, I'm stealing it from the the uh, the, okay. the central words and nerds podcast as one that I like to ask as well because the answers I find are, usually, are always fascinating. Um, but why do you write? Oh, <laughs> I like this one. Okay. Um, yeah, I think for me it comes down to joy and play. Like, I think, like many other writers, I can't imagine not writing. It's sort of something that whenever I incorporate it into my life, it does bring me a lot of um, joy and fulfillment. And I think writing is such a, it's a, it's such a fun space to be able to experiment and play and sort of um, play with ideas that um, you might have brewing in the back of your mind and just sort of bring them to life. I think it's just such a fun intellectual and emotional exercise to kind of bring stories and worlds to life and to share that um, with readers as well. And to, 
you know, I think that's that's a really rewarding part of writing to write something that, you know, someone makes someone laugh or mm. uh, makes them think or just makes them feel something. I think the whole process from taking an idea, turning it into something on a page and sending it out there and finding some sort of connection with the reader somewhere, mm. um, it's a really joyful um, process and yeah I think that's why I write <laughs> that's a great answer that's all I always ask because they're always good answers like that uh look thank you very much for coming on, on um Grace and you know uh, as we said every version of you it's coming out in September it's a little bit of a time away yet but I know that it's on my uh on my watch list and I'll definitely be uh be looking at that one um really appreciate you coming on really appreciate you dealing with me fanning out and going ah it's best Jan um <laughs> But uh, yeah, thank you very much. That's very and kind of you, Nathan. Thank you so much for inviting me. It was a real honour. And, and yeah, when it, was... when it comes out, feel free to uh, jump back on again if you ever want. Oh, thank you. So really lovely to chat. Thanks for having me. Just have a good one. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Regular, a Words and Nerds spin-off podcast uh, with myself, Nathan J. Phillips. As I mentioned before, you can find Grace at gracechanwrites.com. You can also find episode, this episode as well as uh, previous episodes of The Regular at the wordsandnerds.com website as well as at nathanjphillipswrites.com. Thanks again for listening and hopefully we'll catch you next month. Bye.